Hi to all our listeners out there. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 207 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our title this week is Storing Up Treasure in Heaven. Our featured text is Sang's Gospel Q 12, 33-34. Do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth where moth and gnawing deface and where robbers dig through and rob, but treasure for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor gnawing defaces and where robbers do not dig through nor rob. For where your treasure is, there your there will also be your heart. Our companion texts are Matthew 6, 19-21. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke 12, 33-34. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the Gospel of Thomas 76, verse 3, you too look for his treasure, which does not perish, and which stays where no moth can reach it to eat it, and no worm destroys it. This week's saying begins by telling us to focus on storing up treasure in heaven rather than on earth. And I want to offer a word of caution about that. Karl Marx correctly wrote that religion focused on heaven or an afterlife, um, afterlife bliss especially, um, rather than survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, transformation of our world now. It tends to leave oppressed people in a passive state. This is uh, from uh, uh, Introduction to a Contribution to the Critique of Hegel's Philosophy of Right, Collected Works, Volume 3. This is Karl Marx. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, uh, and the soul of a soulless condition. It is the opium of the people. Now, James H. Cohn pushes back on Marx, uh, and, and this is Marx gives a blanket condemnation of all religion, but and, and Cohn pushes back on that blanket condemnation uh, in his landmark book, God of the Oppressed. And this is, uh, I want to read for you a rather long section of, of Cohn's work, God of the Oppressed, here. And I know it's long, but I think it's really worth considering. Cohn is not addressing Marx's critique from the perspective of, of someone trying to preserve the status quo, but he uh, also, it, 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 he's addressing the, the critique uh, of Marx as someone in an oppressed community who's working also for social change and the dismantling of the status quo. So this is, this is James Cone. The vision of the future and of Jesus as the coming Lord is the central theme of black religion. This theme is expressed with the idea of heaven, a concept that has been grossly misunderstood in black religion. For any people, the idea of heaven in the songs and the sermons of black people is proof of Mark's contention that religion is the opiate of the people. Unfortunately, many uninformed young blacks hearing this Marxian analysis in college have accepted this criticism as true without probing deeper into the thought forms of black people. To be sure, white missionaries and preachers used to used Jesus Christ and heaven to make black slaves obedient and docile. But in reality, the opposite happened more often than not. For any black slaves, Jesus became the decisive other in their lives who 
provided for them a knowledge of themselves, not derived from the value system of slave masters. How could black slaves know that they were human beings when they were treated like cattle? How could they know that they were somebody when everything in their environment said they were nobody? How could they know that they had a value that could not be defined by dollars and cents when the symbol of the auction block was an ever-present reality? Only because they knew that Christ was present with them and that his presence included the divine promise to come again and to take them to the quote-unquote New Jerusalem. Heaven, therefore, in black religion, was inseparably connected with Jesus' promise to liberate the oppressed from slavery. It was black people's vision of a new identity for themselves, which was in sharp contradiction to their present status as slaves. This vision of Jesus as the coming one, who will take them back to heaven, held black people together mentally as they struggled physically to make real the future in their present. And that's pages 119 through 120. And Cohen goes on to say, the past and present history of Jesus are incomplete without affirmation of the not yet that will be. The power of Christ's future coming and the vision that it bestows upon the people is the key to why the oppressed can keep on keeping on, even when their fight seems fruitless. The vision of Christ's future that breaks into their slave existence radically changes their perspective on life. And to others who stand outside the community where the vision is celebrated, Black people's talk about long white robes and golden slippers in heaven seems to be proof that black religion is an opiate of the people. But in reality, it is a radical judgment which black people are making upon the society that enslaved them. Black religion, therefore, becomes a revolutionary alternative to white religion. Jesus Christ becomes the one who stands at the center of their view of reality, enabling slaves to look beyond the present to the future, the time when black suffering will be ended. The future reality of Jesus means that what is what it, what is contradicts what ought to be. When Jesus is understood as the coming one who will establish divine justice among the people, then we will be able to understand why black slaves' religion emphasized the other world. They truly believe the story of Jesus' past existence with the poor as told in the Bible. And that's page 120 through 121. And as someone who does not speak from Cohn's social location, I want to acknowledge Cohn's critique of Marx. Uh, When religion leaves us waiting for a a future time when justice comes, rather than working for distributive justice in our world today, then I think Marx is correct. Religion is an opiate. But Cohn is also right that a religion that identifies God as the God of the oppressed, it doesn't have to pacify people. Yet Cohn does drift awfully close to using religion as an opiate himself. In the following paragraph, he goes on to say, people get tired of fighting for justice and the political power of oppressors often creates fear in the hearts of the oppressed. What could a small band of slaves do against the armed might of a nation? Indeed, what can the oppressed blacks do today do in order to break the power of the Pentagon? Of course, we may play revolutionary and delude ourselves that we can do battle against the atomic bomb. Usually, when the reality 
of the political situation dawns upon the oppressed, those who have no vision from another world tend to give up in despair. But those who have heard about the coming of the Lord Jesus and have a vision of crossing on that other side of Jordan are not terribly disturbed about what happens in Washington, D.C., at least not to the extent that their true humanity is dependent on the political perspectives of government officials. So again, he 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 gets dangerously close there to that opiate uh, nature of religion where, where injustice doesn't terribly uh, disturb us. Um, it's, there's a balance. There's a tension here between survival, uh, giving up, and hope to continue fighting. Um, but with this tension between Marx and Cohn in mind this week, I'm asking the question, what did the Jesus of Sang's Gospel Q mean? when he asked us to place our focus on heaven rather than earth, especially when such a focus has historically borne bad fruit. It's proved detrimental to the victims of of oppression and injustice and violence. And James Robinson, in his book, uh, The Gospel of Jesus, he he gives us what I think is a possible answer um, in this book on the sayings of the Gospel Q. He writes, When people get confused by the fact that in the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of God is usually referred to as the kingdom of heaven, leading them to think that the kingdom is in heaven, something one can experience only in the afterlife or at the end of the end of time. But Jesus was talking about God reigning in the here and in the now. Use of the idiom kingdom of heaven is due to the fact that Matthew is the gospel most closely related to Judaism and so still reflects its sensitivities. Jews have been so committed to not taking God's name in vain, which after all is one of the Ten Commandments, that they have thought it best not to take God's name at all. That is, they do not pronounce Yahweh out loud at all. Sometimes they carry this so far that that they not only avoid pronouncing Yahweh, they even avoid pronouncing God, and instead simply refer to the name, quote-unquote, by which everyone in the Jewish community knows what they mean, i.e. God. The kingdom of heaven, if we understand this, that Matthew's Jew sensitivities. The kingdom of heaven is not there than a kingdom in heaven. The kingdom of heaven was a way of talking about the kingdom of God without using the word God. It's not in heaven, though. It's a new social arrangement that Jesus announced had come from heaven to earth. It was the reign of God, and it was emerging from the community of the oppressed in Jesus' day on earth. It was a social vision where people took care of people and where people practiced mutual aid and resource sharing and where wealth and inequality was met with, with wealth redistribution, and we can find at least least a a testimony of this, um, a a claim of this in Acts 4, 33-35. But Jesus' kingdom of heaven was a Jewish way of referring to the kingdom or reign of God, which had arrived here on earth in the present life now. The reign of God, remember, it called people, Jesus' God talk, it it called people to trust in a God who would send other people to take care of, of, of them in the future to the degree that they would be, they would loosen their grip on their hoarded wealth that insulated them from future risk so that they could be the ones God sent uh, to help those who are in need today. And as Robinson points out, this heart, he quote, quote unquote, he said, uh, this hardly remains that as surely as a human parent gives bread and fish in the here and now, the heavenly father will give pie in the sky by and by. It clearly means that God will answer the petition, our day's bread give us today in the here and in the now daily. So so together, 
if we if we're taking care of one another, the idea is that we can face the insecurity of the future because no matter what the future brought, we could make it through it because we had each other. And what Jesus may be saying in, in this week's Q statement is this: Don't store up material treasure on earth, which always involves some level of risk. Invest your resources in the kingdom of heaven, not in a place, but in the kingdom of heaven that has arrived here on earth, which is made manifest in people taking care of people. Lay up uh, a treasure in the lives of people, especially the vulnerable, the poor, and those on the undersides uh, or the edges of our societies. Invest in a, a compassionate, safe, just world for people. Put your treasure in them, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And people are often not comfortable with their religion becoming this down-to-earth. They are much more comfortable with the religion being about investing in a, a post-mortem retirement program for themselves. But I don't think that that, that, that approach to interpreting Jesus' saying is consistent with what we've witnessed previously about the Jesus of saying's gospel cues so far. His teachings are not about you gaining heavenly bliss later. They're about bringing the liberation of heaven into people's lives here and now today. And what does it mean uh, to lay up treasure in heaven then? The kingdom of heaven for, for Jesus was the reign of God that had arrived on here on earth, and it called people to stop solving the challenges of survival for themselves at the expense of others around them. It called them to take responsibility for making sure one another had what they needed, that everyone had enough. And this week's saying is, is not a matter of location of heaven versus earth, nor do I think it's a matter of timing of, of post-mortem later versus now. It's a matter of seeking plenty for yourself on earth now versus seeking the kingdom of heaven with others on earth now. Storing up treasure in heaven means taking, it means people taking care of people here. Um, at, at, at my house here, one of my projects is storing uh, some of my daughter's favorite belongings uh, in our attic while she's away at college. But when she comes home from college, when college is all said and done, she's not going to go up into the attic where those have been stored uh, to enjoy her belongings up there. She's going to take those belongings out of the attic and bring them down to enjoy them in her new home. And when we take care of other people, even if we use the language of storing up treasure in heaven, we cannot forget that that our home is here. When we choose to take care of people, we're transforming our home here, and we'll be able to take out and enjoy those treasures that we've stored up in each other in a transformed world that is safe, that is just and compassionate. It's become a compassionate home for, for us all on earth as it is in heaven, according to Matthew 6.10. So with all of that in mind, let's revisit this week's saying, do not treasure for yourselves uh, a treasure on earth where moth and gnawing deface and where robbers dig through and rob, but treasure for yourselves treasure in heaven, i.e. the kingdom of heaven, where neither moth nor gnawing defaces, where robbers do not dig through nor rob, for where your treasure is, remember people, there will also be your Heart. Heart group application this week. Number one, as a group, uh, consider the, the the following questions. How does choosing to take responsibility for one another's survival and care, how does that transform our world today? Number one. And in which ways does, does doing so affirm how our world already is? 
In some ways, um, this will affirm uh, the world. Number two, list some ways that your group could lean more deeply into taking care of each other. And then list some ways that, that your group could, could lean more deeply into taking care of, of those in your neighborhood. But first, start with, with just one another. And then I want you to take these lists that you've compiled, and I want you to separate them into two categories. I want you to separate um, uh, these lists into actions that may help people today, uh, yet it still leaves in place a system that will cause them to need help again tomorrow. And then uh, put some in the action, those that are th- that this relates to, create a second list of actions that impact the, the systemic problems, that actually transform society at its root as well. And it's important to do, I think, both. It's, an, it's not just one or the other. If a person is drowning, they need pulled out of the river. And those throwing people into the river need to be stopped as well. So Renewed Heart Ministries' book for March is James H. Cohn's book, God of the Oppressed. And in that book, Cohn writes, for the oppressed, justice is the rescue from hurt. And for the oppressors, it is the removal of the power to hurt others, even against their will, so that justice can be realized for all. And then number three, what I want you to do this week is pick two items from your group's list and begin putting them into practice this week. And this is how we begin storing up treasure in heaven and transforming uh, our world. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Remember, keep living in love, a love that bears the fruit of survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation. And I want to, again, take an opportunity to thank all of you who are supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries. It's people like you that enable us to exist and and to be a positive resource in our world in the work of survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast or, or you're unfamiliar with Renewed Heart Ministries, uh, we're a not-for-profit group that's passionate about centering a set of values and ethics for our world in the experiences of those on the undersides and margins of our societies, and and, and a set of values that's also informed by the sayings and teachings of the historical Jewish uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And everything we do at Renewed Heart Ministries is done with the purpose of, of making these resources as free as possible. And so to do that, we need the help of people like yourself. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift, or you can become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab at the top right of the homepage, or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. But but regardless whether you you contribute or not, make sure you sign up for our free resources on our website. We have a, a monthly newsletter. We have daily inspirational quotations that go out. We have weekly publications, and there's just so much more. Remember, everything we do here is for free, and every little bit of support helps. And anything that we receive over and above our annual budget, we happily pass on to to other not-for-profits that are making both systemic and personal differences in the lives of those less privileged within our societal status quo. And for those already supporting our work, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are making a difference, making our world a safer, more just, more compassionate home for us all. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.